Uduwasha city, where the sun is a mirror and the moon a shadow. 800 years ago, the gates of death were broken by the Emperor Immortal. The five key bearers, however, had already unlocked them and walked right through. It is in Uduwasha city they dwell. Now, the ghost field breathes next to our reality, lit by the eternal flame of the well of Udu. It is a second skin, a place where thought and will struggle against gravity and light. In other places, the dead congregate in the ghost field, but in Uduwasha, the well city, the hell city, they fall straight into the flames. See its glittering districts, Chitichpur, where the rich plot to buy the horizon, Bundavest, where the refugees of two different nations flock, and Pasarhantu, the vertical maze of market and murder. And here is Udepat, where the ceaseless temple resides. Its inhabitants, a family, a snake, and a god. The temple has stood since before the gods of this world were forgotten. Watch as it turns the wheels of revolution. Welcome to Desperate Retune, an actual play podcast about people who take risks so they can survive against the odds. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, welcome back to what is likely to be the last session of A Candle Ablaze, or more correctly, a retrospective on the campaign uh, of our first season set in Udwasha of Blades in the Dark by John Harper. John Harper. John Harper. With me as ever are my players for the last time for me, because I don't mind spoiling to you that I am no longer no longer going to be a GM, but a player in the next season. So say hi, Emma. Hello. Uh, Zohar. Hi. Prince. Hello. Adil. Hello. You know what? A very normal set of hellos, by and large. Uh, for this episode, it's a uh, tiny bit of spice from Prince. Uh-huh. Yes, correct. Yeah. I expect everyone's hellos to be as deranged as possible for the first episode of the next season. Just FYI. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, practicing already. So, as you probably know, if you're listening to this uh, recording, we wrapped up our campaign last episode, um, and as a result, any recap that I do now. Seems a bit silly. Um, instead, I think what I want to do is we were discussing doing a retrospective, um, and there's a really good list of questions that a friend of the show, Laertes, uh, put together that we generally do for other campaigns that we play. And I will just go over what those things are. So, debriefing stuff, as Princess called it uh, in our channel. Uh, a highlighted story arc, highlighted NPCs, highlighted PC development, including your own, highlighted character scenes, uh, best score, and most unexpected twist or turn in the story. Um, and I guess this will be somewhat freewheeling. But we, it's not exactly that we're going to go in this order, and you know things will come up as they come up. But um, that's mostly, I think, what I'm thinking. So I'm willing to recap if someone thinks a recap is. Uh, appropriate yeah go ahead why not okay so uh essentially what happened is that a couple of scov refugees uh came to the temple seeking help uh the temple 
um, decided that the best way to do this was to hold a charity football match. Uh, they then met a lawyer in a sauna who told them to go underground. One of the crew ended up eating a god kebab. Um, but I think she really enjoyed that god kebab. Uh, having done that, she realized that she really had a taste for god kebabs, uh, setting up uh, some developments later in the campaign. Um, and another PC realized that the best way to do revolution was a newspaper. The newspaper had several very interesting columns, including an account of Liv growing up, growing up in Uduwasha as a uh, street urchin, and uh, the best way to make chai. Um, all of this having happened, it turned out that the lawyer uh, actually betrayed them, which caused them to feed the lawyer to their own god and then eat their god. I think that's about right. Wait a minute. Did we feed Hardil to the god? No. We, none of what I said happened. No, some of those things happened. <laughs> some of them kind of happened. Sorry, yeah. when I said recap, like... What an unreliable narrator. Am I yes. reliable? Yeah. Or not? <laughs> yeah. I thought it was a great recap. I thought it was a great recap. You got you got mostly the vibes of what has happened this yeah. campaign. It involved no, no. a lot of it involved a lot of eating things that are not meant to be eaten and cooking things that are meant to be cooked but badly. From my point yes. of view, mm-hmm. yeah, Fair enough. yeah. I was genuinely confused. Like, did we feed Hardil to the god? We should have done that. Why didn't we do that? Yeah, that uh, would have made sense, but uh, too late. So let's yeah, say that we did that. I'm still the GM. I'm still the GM, and I, we did not do that. Uh, we're not going to do any epilogues, but let me tell you, Hartwell made it out of Uduwasha safely. I'm making this uh-huh. This is my uh-huh. final okay. GM. Uh, <laughs> and, you enough. know, yeah. <laughs> Using your GM powers to save specifically the crooked lawyer is a yeah. power move for sure. I, sub- yeah. I take your GM and substitute it with one of my own. Prince, yeah. <laughs> what happened, Hartwell? <laughs> <laughs> we will find uh, out in season two of Desperate 2. Yes, great. Uh, <laughs> I will say that Hatel was far from my favorite NPC. Like, he's not even in the top 10. But so who was your favorite NPC? It's on the list. Um, you're right. You know what? You're right. And in fact, uh, normally the GM in these things goes last, but I'm happy to go first. Um, because in many ways the gm in our game was mostly just reacting to things right so i don't think that like me saying things is necessarily giving stuff away or letting you behind the curtain there is no curtain in the game um so let's kind of go in order uh highlighted story arc i think for me something that i really something that i really enjoyed was seeing how um zajidan's relationship with Miraz, with Abbas, with Vickers, and with Joan, with everyone in the temple, like changed mostly in order for us to like see it better. I don't think that he changed necessarily, but as we saw more and more of the campaign, we saw more and more like the the nuances and the ways that he related to things and the ways that he was making those decisions, which in many ways like were quite subtle. I don't think that was necessarily that like obvious or anything, but I quite enjoyed um watching that happen. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, definitely. It was a very cool relationship. Yeah, I, I also like, um, I never brought it up because it didn't seem like it was going to be, like it, it, it was going to matter, but I really thought at some point either or both 
uh, Miraz's uh, and Vikas's mums were gonna show up in like in reference, and they just never did. Um, mm-hmm. And like we don't even know if they had mums, right? Like we don't know whether like the other person or the people in those relationships were necessarily women or what. We know nothing, like mm-hmm. right. And I think that was quite interesting because we focused, especially in Miraz's case, on his dad, and there was like a silence about anyone else in that relationship which almost felt it to me it felt very natural i think i think sometimes you build a relationship where you just don't mention that person at all you try your best like you know that that person is there in the relationship and just never address that person we talked a little bit about miraz's mother out of character largely in the context of like why she's not a character why she's not part of the narrative at all and like I think to an extent, it's kind of like sometimes, look, it's like, I don't know, my grandparents, for example, like my grandmother, like I vaguely remember her, but like she died when I was like really young and I remember her death, but like, I don't remember anything else about her. And like, I don't think that like diminishes who she is as a person or something, but like, I have no memory of her whatsoever. And of course, like Miraz's mother would obviously figure, because, you know, mother would figure more closely into his life, but if she passed away for whatever reason when he was super young again like not really important as such life goes on right yeah i think that was interesting and i think it also avoids like because i think like um in this sort of like fiction when there's like that gap in someone's life like you know losing a parent really really early it tends to define them really explicitly in a lot of ways and sometimes i think that's a little bit it's a little bit not played out as such i think it's always like good to explore that but there are other ways of like relating to that sort of like loss. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. I mean, and that was something that I like uh, definitely was aware of in that I never felt like we were missing out by not seeing it. But it, it struck me as interesting because I think we also spoke out of character, maybe even not in a recording, about the fact that both Miraz and Vickers seemed not to have, like they were both the children of single fathers. Uh, when yeah. we meet them on screen. Yeah. As for Vickers, the explanation for why her mother never turned up in the campaign is, I think, that she's still in Doskval. Like, oh, is she alive? Oh, interesting. I don't think it was ever established that Vickers' mother is dead. No, it wasn't. No, but she is not together with her father anymore, and so why would she move all the way across the world? That's, oh, yeah. okay. So, yeah. I didn't clarify precisely what happened to her. I, there was implied that, you know, something went horribly wrong at some point mm-hmm. but it may just have been as simple as like a divorce or it may have been worse because it's doskful but you know she she just isn't in Uduasha. <laughs> that was that was just uh... I mean, to be honest i think that the relationship between vickers and uh i mean i can call her liz now because i'm no longer zealously representing the world to some extent could also very much just be like the result of like a somewhat messy divorce that you know didn't get addressed in the best possible way, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. um, it could really be that simple. I think it's also uh, an outcome of the fact that we didn't actually see the Ashcrofts very much. No, we saw more of them in the early season. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, the early season, but like not so much after a point, which I think made was fairly natural. We focused on what was interesting to us. But yeah. I'd be quite interested in actually seeing if the Ashcrofts like re reemerge in season two. We don't need to push for that direction, but it'd be an interesting opportunity, perhaps, to like see more of that family. Yeah, maybe. 
I think yeah. what we discovered kind of was that their story, if it if it continues, is a kind of story that takes place over much a much longer time. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it can be kind of a yeah. matter thing. Yeah, mm. we did establish a bit about Joan's parents very early on, and it was basically like Abbas met and was like, "Oh, how's my cousin doing?" And Joan was like, "Yeah, he's dead." <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> you were like, you, you were not actually a cousin. You were like a second cousin. So you were the child of Abbas's cousin. I think we mm-hmm. established, and then you were just yeah. like, "Yeah, he died a while ago. <laughs> now I'm here." <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you think? I mean, what was also interesting was that so whenever Abbas and Ajidan were speaking and like they were brothers even in that relationship Midas's mother wasn't necessarily addressed right like for example in my life i can't imagine you know, uh if uh, my brother-in-law ever passed away and presumably in the fullness of time he's going to but i hope that you know he won't for a long time hi alex if you're listening to this why would you be um he would figure heavily when we talk Right, but that doesn't necessarily mean that like he would come up in casual conversation. I don't know, right? Um, so I think that did make sense, even from like the point of view of other people who've known Zajidan not as a father but more as a like a contemporary. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I really like um, I found playing Zajidan very rewarding, and I think that it, he taught me a bit. I think about like parenting in a weird way in that like he was much more happy-go-lucky in a sense than any parent i have ever known he was very much like you can do it and then he would just hang out right until let's be honest he planned to sacrifice himself to his god so the snake could wear his skin and then he blew out a candle and also his own soul um but before that, he was pretty happy, happy go lucky, so I quite enjoyed him. Um, yeah. Like, I don't mind spoiling that he is my highlighted NPC for very oh. obvious reasons, I think. Yeah, I mean, of yeah. course. Well, that's nice. No, I mean, mm, no, it was like, it felt very real, is the thing. Like, it felt very real and natural. And, like, I think it's always difficult to do, like, especially for me, like, uh, I tend to have a bit of a distance in role playing. Like I think I, I think I'm a good player, but like there are certain things like the fairly like intimate relationships where I struggle a little bit, and I think an outcome of the fact that is that I've spoken about this out of um, out of the recording and so on, but like I would have liked in retrospect to have like been more free to interact with Vickers like on a romantic level and so on, like you know found that, and I think like there was largely a little bit of my own distancing there, but I think for whatever reason. The Zajidan relationship, the Mira Zajidan relationship, was very free and open, and I found that really, really, really refreshing and like very easy to go. So I think, uh, yeah, I have to highlight that for sure, especially like the final scene uh, with Mira's and Zajidan, which you know, it's in retrospect that's a very hard scene, but to actually play it out, it felt very easy. I think that says a lot. Yeah, I think actually I was drawing a lot from the game that you and I were playing before this campaign, in which I also played a dad. Yeah. Um, and the NPC was uh, played by the GM, uh, Laertes again. And that it was the same kind of refreshing relationship that I really liked, which I wanted to try and replicate, which was 
much like the um you know someone whose parent dies early and that ends up defining them is like such a big trope uh the same thing of like i have a complicated relationship to my parents is also such a big trope in a way where often it's like oh here are all of the things that make this tough right whereas i think that like with zajidan what i wanted i knew that i wanted it to be easy um and that, like whatever problems came up i knew i wanted to be like both he and the other person that he's having problems with should be able to like have just have that conversation um and i think that actually made, ended up making it like feel better when not better but it, it ended up like feeling more impactful when zajidan ended up being like you know what this is all going to shit right like i need to do something about this and i'm not going to talk to anyone before i do that um because like it was represented such a radical change from that yeah i i was going to ask adia about his feeling about zajidan and like how yeah. he thought about adia like adia wow abbas and zajidan interacting yeah i am um... I was going to highlight Zadidan as one of my favorite NPCs as well and I think like so there was some yeah it did like I've never I don't have an older brother and all my older cousins live abroad but even then like I I felt like you know when Abbas and Zadidan were talking um it felt natural like and I really liked it like on a personal level because like it the dynamic kind of reminded me of my dad and his older brother so yeah i i enjoyed that as well um and i i did like the kind of thing where like even though Zadijan's the older brother like and like culturally like he has like the authority they're they're i think and and abbas does also like kind of defer to him there, i i think there was a little bit of tension in you know not not necessarily tension, I guess. Like there, there's some, there was some. Uh, they're trying to implicitly sort of figure out um, where their authority is because, um, especially with the scene where Zajjan wanted to shed his skin, yeah, and like you know, it was actually a bus lecturing him about you know being reckless. Um, yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah. I like these little like nuances. I like I like these little moments. It felt very natural, and it, it yeah. I'm glad to hear that to be honest. I was very much drawing on like my own experience of like a, a range of family but also like not just positively in terms of this is how it is but also negatively in terms of this is how I don't want it to be, right? Yeah. Like to elaborate more on that thing where I was saying where like Zajjan is the older brother and you know so is technically, you know uh the higher up right but then most of the day-to-day stuff is done by a bus and Zajan yeah. is essentially retired and um but even though like it didn't seem like all that interested like or that involved in the politics or like the you know or like until like he was shedding his skin like or even like the uh spiritual aspects like you know the day-to-day running of the temple and that that part is exactly like my dad and his brother were like nominally like my dad being the younger brother is like defers to his older brother, but my dad actually takes care of most of the things in the family. So right. there's this thing where 
he must, in a very respectful way, tell my, my uncle like what to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. And no, I know what you mean. Yeah, it's yeah. like you got to figure out how you're going to um, <laughs> negotiate them in a way that doesn't hurt anybody's feelings, or like not exactly hurt anybody's feelings, but you know what I mean. Um, yeah. But yeah. also get the work done. Yeah. Yeah. So I like that. I, I, I like that a lot. I definitely get the impression that Zajidan was probably the most emotionally challenging NPC to play. I don't know if that's true, Tree. I don't think so. Uh, I actually think that the emotionally, the most emotionally challenging NPC, it's a good question. It's probably tied between A, the esteemed lady, whom I found tricky because it was that balance of I care a lot about Freya. Um, but I am so used to never, uh, I'm so used to never like letting my guard down that it's not so easy for me to like express this openly, right? And, like, but at the same time, she is a performer, so she knows how important it is to perform correctly, right? Um, I definitely found that, like, interesting. Uh, I think the other NPC that I found, like, emotionally tricky, um, even though he was on screen for all of, like, five minutes, was... Uh, was uh, Munna. Because how do you portray this? You know? Like, like what is going on here? Uh, what what is the way in which you can be this hyper competent person, right? And I'm not sure I ever really figured that out. But then I was like, well, we we just we don't need to necessarily ever see him on screen, so it's fine. Um, and then he was on screen just for that one extra. Uh, but in some ways, I actually like playing emotionally challenging characters is easier for me in that I have a better idea of like how they might feel. What's mm -hmm. much tricky is playing characters who don't care as much as they should, because then I have no way of trying to figure out like what, what does I don't give a shit look like? And the fact is that I'm not exactly sure what it looks like. So that I find a bit more tr uh, tricky, I think. I think then we can, I'm happy to move to the next question on my list. Um, and then when we come to your questions, so we can be like, well, we want to answer this one or whatever. Right. But for lack of a structure, I think. Um, yeah. yeah. So um, highlighted NPCs. And we've talked about a few of them. Um, but for me, some, someone that I enjoyed being a lot was Goopy. I think that Goopy was someone who had a lot of interiority hidden behind the panjuing, behind the being a goon, right? And like the interiority was not of a high quality in that he wasn't a poet, right? He wasn't like coming out here. Even that article that he wrote, I think we described it as it's very much purple prose, doesn't do everything that it needs to all this stuff, but he was very genuine in that way. Um, and that it, and like he had a best friend. It's always nice to just have a best friend who goes everywhere you go, right? And I think like I enjoyed both of them because they had that relationship of I'm always here for you. Uh, and yet 
separating them and making you know um making goopy a bit more introspective and making baga a bit more like you know i'm not really i don't care that much about the stuff whatever um that was also super fun for me um and i think that like i i wouldn't say that i enjoyed her but actually now that i think about it just because bukupi is on the brain i think elizabeth was tricky for me um and i think the reason elizabeth was tricky for me was uh she didn't have a best friend literally um she wanted one and she never got one and i think that like that was a key thing in her in her personality right that she was looking for someone to ground her i think subconsciously she probably thought vickers should have been that person and vickers wasn't that person um but that doesn't like you know that's not necessarily because it has to be vickers's job or whatever right but um that was something i definitely found like challenging to try and figure out like where that balance for elizabeth was and i quite liked her yeah but i liked her because she was a douche canoe in a very real way she's just like <laughs> treated Miraz not very well you know treated like vickers not very well tried and failed <laughs> at a bunch of things instead of just asking for help right like she was just like a you know she was kind of like a a disaster waiting to happen and then she just kept happening so mm -hmm. but yeah prince i'm actually curious like in, in terms of those siblings where we were earlier talking about uh zajidan and abbas it really did feel like vickers and elizabeth had a very different feeling right like they're very they had a very different like relationship oh yeah for sure something i wanted the ashcrofts to feel like was that you know the chakrabortis are not a perfect family <laughs> they are a family with a lot of complicated feelings going around, but yeah. the Ashcrofts are, well, they're just a very unhappy family, right? Like, yeah. Vickers and her dad didn't have an antagonistic relationship, but they didn't have a particularly good one either. And she had an outright yeah. antagonistic relationship uh, with her sister. And as we've touched on, her mother wasn't even part of the story. And I wanted to portray a little bit that, like, Vickers is kind of really trying to be a good person, but she also yeah. comes from a background of, like, you know, she comes from a background of proper nobility, of and of you fucked up proper nobility, where you know expectations and face matter more than anything else. And you know, Vickers rebelled against that. She played roofball, married the wrong guy, just generally didn't live up to her parents' expectations at all. And so that was part of it. I think I I wanted her to come from a family that just didn't work. And I think yeah. fundamentally that was her relationship with with Elizabeth, right? Like she, you know. Ultimately, Elizabeth and Vickers would be happier if they didn't even know each other. <laughs> but, but they're sisters, so they do. Yeah, yeah. It was that, that sort of family. Yeah, and that's that's a very specific kind of unhappiness, I think, because mm -hmm. it also comes from knowing what you could have had, but yeah. you know you don't have it. And yeah, that's that's quite that's quite tough. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I thought that was portrayed very well, and like Vickers, still, you know, they still care about each other, but it's. Not necessarily in a healthy way. No, not necessarily in a healthy way. No, exactly. Where both kind of think that they know what's better for the other person. Vickers was guilty of this too. She she did things for Elizabeth's own good, in quotes, which Elizabeth would have totally disapproved of. And this went both ways. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I think like those were my two, like, I wouldn't say uh, 
Elizabeth was not exactly a highlight, but Elizabeth was definitely a uh, a person that was like I spent a lot of time thinking about her. And yeah, as the season developed, we didn't see as much of her. You know, like I really wanted V to be someone at some point, and again, kind of veered away from that. Like we started exploring Munna instead as the criminal like person, which again I enjoyed. Um, but I spent a lot of time thinking about Elizabeth. Like, what ways was she? let down what ways did she um mm -hmm. you know all that kind of thing so i definitely like uh if i can make a request for someone who i think should show up um i think it, that, that it, it might be it might be elizabeth actually that okay. i want to show up okay. so yeah interesting uh as for me i think the npcs i would like to highlight uh, mm -hmm. Or like Elizabeth was interesting, but I think it was really cool how you played the lady in Shades of Rose and Gold. Mm -hmm. Just because I invented that, it was interesting because I invented that character. Like yeah. this isn't on the podcast. This was when we were making preparations for it. And then Chloe is the person who actually picked that character up and ran with it. And then yeah. you put her. And it's always cool seeing a character get through these iterations because the end result was so different from how I had imagined her when I just wrote down the description of this person that lives in Ash Cloister. So that was very cool to see. And then, mm -hmm. of course, my other highlighted NPC is uh, obviously Augustus Khan. Like, of course. I, I may have uh, invented the name, but uh, Tree, you took the name and made it into a legend. <laughs> he, was well, the, he was the creme de la creme. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love Augustus Khan. I, like, won't lie. Um, he was... I like turned my shit posting brain such as it is all the way up for that. Yes. Right? Yes. Like there was no doubt. Um but I think that something else that also happened was because you rolled so well in so many ways, I had to commit. Like whenever you tried and made that like relationship work for you, it was like, okay, now I have to know that yeah. this is something that is working. Um, uh -huh. And as a result, the, 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 the French accent or the, the commitment to making Roofball work, all of this stuff was really, I think, something that I found um, he needed to buy in. And that was necessarily true. And therefore, you know, we found ourselves in that place where he yeah. became this person. Yeah, what was funny about Augustus Khan too is that he's so ridiculous and over the top that no one would think he's real, but he wasn't real. He's just a fake persona, so it, yes. it really yes. worked. Like Correct. this is yeah. this is a character being portrayed by a bad actor in universe. So the bad accent yes. is like diegetic. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, he's literally an Indian trying to be French. Yeah. So yeah. you know, it's great. Mm. Um. Yeah, I'm glad I came up with such an ostentatious name. Gotta say, though, that also, like, again, in terms of interiority, uh, his his transformation over the campaign was really interesting from what, what I, from what I feel like was starting as a comic relief character, then becoming slightly less comic relief and more more honest halfway through, and then going back into a different comic relief comic character. Comic relief? Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it's true. Uh, what was your highlighted NPC, Emma? I'm curious. Uh, I I really enjoyed the 
the creeping uh, cruelty of Madison Freak. Yes, absolutely. Speaking as her very slowly digested and savored appetizer. Mm. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like genuinely what a person. Uh, what can you possibly yeah. say about Madison Freak? Did I mention that this was my former PC as well? I think you did even on screen. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I preferred the way you played her, to be honest. Well, I think that she probably changed between you and me anyway. Something yeah, that exactly. I really enjoyed was uh, listening back to... So when I was playing Madison the second time, um, I wasn't sure whether they were uh, she, they, she, her, he, him, what, right? I was just not sure. And then we just all concluded, it's fine. You know, they could have gone through a change. But it turned out I had the same instinct both times, which is both times I went, Madison sounds like a she, her, she, they, they, them. I'm just going to use both. So it was funny to me to like listen back to that recording and realize that I had just been um, doing the same thing again. Like the same set of thoughts. Oh, cannibal, weirdo. No way this person is binary. I'm sorry, like to all of the binary people out there, this person is just their their gender is cannibal. You Why can't blame want this one. <laughs> you know, like legit. This one's for the queers. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just want to say that I do not share Tree's opinions on this. Oh. Mm, mm. Yeah, see, already getting pushback. The second that one of us expresses an opinion, we just like eat eat each other up. It's terrible. Uh, it's almost eat each other up. It's a very good choice of words there. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad you noticed. Um, mm -hmm. But nonetheless, yes, I really enjoyed Madison Frake. I'm not gonna lie. Um, yeah. Also, a highlighted the PC for me. I mean, you have so many performances that, of course, it's cheating to say more than one. And hopefully oh, there no. should be more spread. Um, yeah, you do a good job. I mean, it's nice of you to say. I think, to be honest, the time that it became most obvious to me that I had... Because, uh, like, like, for me, it's all in the cadence. Rather, I, can't re I can do two different accents, right? And they're both really mine. Um, but what did, I think, demonstrate it is that the first time... And by the time this goes out, you'll have edited the poem into the finale, right? Yes, sir. The first time I read it out, I read it out somewhat as myself, somewhat as such as then, but kind of very in a very like subconscious way, right? And then when we were talking about it, and I was like, oh, and you said, Zoheb, that I should do it explicitly as him. Um, I was like, okay, what's his voice like? And he like the the recording immediately changed, right? So even though like in accent and that kind of thing, it was the same. If you hear the two recordings, they're actually like wildly different because Zajan's just approaching the same text in such a different way. Um, and that I think was startling even to me. I hadn't, I didn't expect that, right? Um, and we got to this point where some of the things that I, that last line, the, when I read it, uh, I, I got more and more breathless as I was reading it, because it felt to me like it was a poem heading towards a conclusion that, you know, I didn't even want to get to. Um, whereas for Zajidhan, it was a conclusion about this is how life is, you know, this mm. is just how it goes. And so his reading was much more somber, like not just somber, but like calm and like collected in that way. And then I read, heard it back and I was like, oh, wow, 
this is just wild how different these two like views that are technically inside myself are right yeah that was very cool okay so you know what we should do um we should first ask uh Adit what his highlighted npcs are and then we can all do story arcs instead of one person doing all of them at once which sure. doesn't make as much sense so yes Adit, please tell us uh well i've already spoken about one of them which is Salijan, and mm -hmm. for the reasons stated above and the other one i mean also has been mentioned and how how can it not be augustus khan like everything about this guy from being like a thorn in the side at the for the temple you know being um i like how his name isn't even morosim anymore it's not more no, no, really? no, no. hey 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 you know he's he, he, don't dead name him um, <laughs> um yeah don't you dare do that <laughs> don't you dare do that um to his downfall, where we found him in uh, what's it called? Gilly Gilly. Ash Twister, I think. No, like, was just it? like, was it Ash Twister? Oh, we might have been Gilly Gilly Gilly. Yeah. Yeah, Gilly Gilly Gilly, like you know, and uh, I, I also just lo love the idea of Abbas going up to this down, you know, just uh, a criminal at rock bottom and bringing him into the fold. The the way that Vickers then uh, took him in. Um, Gave him a new identity, and then tree playing the you know uh, the reborn uh, Augustus Khan was just amazing. Like ev every word that came out of this man's mouth was just mm, fantastic. Like indeed, <laughs> yeah. we should also highlight Prince's ridiculous idea to create Augustus Khan from yes. the ashes of Morosim. I mean. Yeah. How long was the clock, Prince, to reinvent Morrison? Was it eight? Was it ten? Yeah, I think so. It was called the yeah. Redemption of One Augustus Khan. Yes, that's <laughs> what it was called. called. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie, naming the clock that did a lot to motivate me to make sure that he changed completely, right? Like yeah. once you uh -huh. redeem him, how can he possibly be who he yeah. was anymore? He's a new mm -hmm. person. Yes, um, I'm, I'm glad I came up with it. It literally was me realizing, like, oh, yes, Vickers would have to give this guy a name. I forgot about that, but then that was kind of diegetic because Vickers would yeah, also forget also about forget that. About you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, okay, what are the two most overblown names I can give this guy? Uh, yeah. Augustus, yes, Augustus Khan. Khan. Yes, correct. I was going to say, I was so obsessed with that that I seriously considered making him my alternate PC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, while we're talking about the name Augustus Khan, like I, I love the idea that well, uh, this guy or you know, Khan, what, wait, are we saying that he came up with his own new name or Vickers gave him that name? No, Vickers gave it to him. Vickers gave up, came up with it on the spot. She was introducing uh, okay. him, and that's when I, as a player, realized like, all oh, right, he needs a name, and then yeah. I just decided that Vickers would would think the exact same way. Augustus Khan. Uh. Yeah, I just like the idea of the name that you know you come up with an alternate name like oh he's uh, he's French now so it's Augustus and then you just default back to being a Ruvian or Khan. Oh, whoops. Yeah. <laughs> yep. 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 Yeah. yeah, I think um, I do think that Augustus was someone that uh, whenever he came on screen, I was like shit, I have to do this accent again. 
And then in order to make myself enjoy it, I was like, it's going to be full home. You know. Like, what do you mean, shit? I have to do this accent again. It should be, ah, yes, I get to do this accent again. Look, when we <laughs> get cancelled on French Twitter, I'm going to point to you. Yes. That's all I'm saying. Um... <laughs> well, as I said, it's diegetic. He's meant to yes. be bad at being French. It's fine. Listen, yeah. Where I live, the French will never come. They will uh-huh. never put up with this cuisine. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, no. To be clear, you live in the... like. Is it technically inside the Arctic Circle? It is in the Arctic Circle. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. That's how, I mean, like, it's a different... It's, it's a different planet, essentially. So, you know. Yeah. Um, Should we move on to story arcs? Yes, I think so. Highlighted story arc, highlighted story arc. Yes, I remember. Uh, it was the Kingfisher situation. Uh, particularly how we have Freya mentioned first, and then kind of like as this as this like what seemed at the time like it was gonna be a, a villain or a very big fish uh, that we had to work around, then having her show up being completely different in somehow in some way than I imagined, but very like still having this kind of royal. I thought that was a very cool description of like somebody who is very honestly and belonging really royal. And then having that arc over to her losing all of that. And almost as a midway uh, cold open twist, suddenly being one of the player characters. Like, like uh, there was a character who had been in the background for a long time, suddenly becoming a main character in the middle of the show. I really like that. Yeah, that was a fun decision to make. Yeah, I think it was a good decision as well because it gave us like someone very different, but still connected to, um, still connected to the crew, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that was really cool. And the viewers have to appreciate the fact that it was a very small twist of fate that the situation just aligned itself such that it must be Freya as the second PC. And in that, if that hadn't happened, they would have gotten Augustus Khan instead. Mm. <laughs> Indeed. So it is. Uh-huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. You've broken my brain. Thank you for yeah. that. Um, yeah. New, new story arc. Uh, favorite story arc. Zoheb deciding to play Freya and not Augustus Khan. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. A meta story. A meta story arc. Yeah. The mm-hmm. the true character development was inside us all along. Mm-hmm. Um, Speaking of the true character development being in, inside us, I want to ah. highlight the Shrine Builder. <laughs> I really yes. loved how the Shrine Builder went from like a cool twist in the Kingfisher Grotto to being like an underlying menace for some time, where we had a lot of like foreshadowing that like Mirasa is screwed up right now, to then becoming like a, a relationship problem between Vickers and Miras, and then how that resolved. <laughs> it was like. <laughs> Basically, there's like a grand supernatural problem, and once Vickers realizes that there's a grand supernatural problem threatening her husband, the campaign ends. I thought that was... Uh, yeah. It was yeah, uh, fun. Uh, it was a fun arc to me, and I loved how you played the uh, the Shrine Builder, Plo, so... Yeah, thank you. I got so pissed off with that guy. <laughs> just... Which is what he deserves. Mm-hmm. I thought I was very interested in that actually because like this kind of like fairly like you know I, I have a few sort of like archetypes but like this kind of like cold 
quite cruel, heartless kind of character is also like one of the things in my wheelhouse. It was interesting mm-hmm. to kind of like switch from mirrors to that mm-hmm. because I think in a certain way, like that's what I tend to play more. So I was kind of like just being like, oh, this is just what I'd, what most of my PCs would react as, you know, cold contempt, hating all of you. And mm-hmm. I just realized, oh my God, this, <laughs> this is so inappropriate in the context of this campaign. Yes. Which, yeah. Which is cool. Yeah. I thought it was yeah. a, a cool arc and it gave us, it gave us kind of, from my perspective anyway, it gave us the campaign villain. It was like, once Vickers mm. realized that this like threat from the past, this, this like actual manifestation of generational trauma is here, I'm like, I'm going to kill it. <laughs> I'm going to kill this thing. So for me, that was very fun. And it, it, it gave us some room to actually explore Vickers and Mirasa's relationship, which, you know, it wasn't. There weren't so many scenes between them early on, so it was yeah, nice yeah. to do that. Yeah, I think it was a good relationship. I just have. I just wish I could have done done a bit more with it. It was good. It was good. Yeah, yeah. Always good to want a little more. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Since we're doing story arcs, I don't think I've said mine. Uh huh. No, go like, for it. Yeah. So I think uh, I'll shout out Joan um, for this, like just in general, because I think like. She was a really interesting character in the sense that she was literally a little bit of a sort of like outlier, sometimes a little bit hard to really figure out what's going on. And I felt, I mean, I don't know, Emma, like how much you had like already planned or how much of it was like stuff you'd been thinking in the background and so on, or how much of it was just like taking the moment and kind of like deciding right there. But it was really interesting to kind of like, because like the outcome of it is kind of like she's in the background and we don't really know that much about what's going on with her until suddenly we focus on her and she does something like really really interesting that like transforms herself like of course also a little bit literally and i think like she went the most places really um and i think that was a really really interesting character arc yeah it was a very transforming character i think it was also like in the beginning i was i was searching a lot with who this actually was and i think the her her disconnectedness from the rest of the family kind of contributed to that. Um, but I'm really glad that it went somewhere interesting in the end. Yeah. I have to say that I think that that session that we did jo- Emma, with Joan, um, where it was just you and me and we were talking about what kinds of like things motivated Joan and what kinds of things were motivating this really unhinged mm-hmm. character in the most unhinged way. That was like one of some of the best fun I've ever had, like role playing period, right? Um, yeah, it was such a great like a combination of genuine politics and also absolute weirdness. Yeah, no, that was great. I really have to highlight that inter scene. Like it was amazing. Like despite um, my technical complaints, which were many, um, it was amazing. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it is. Totally fair. I really, I really have yeah. to stress that it was really fucking good. Mm. Well, it's it's yeah. Mm. Uh, I'm not afraid to say that Emma and I did have a conversation conversation along the lines of "Oh shit, did we fuck up? Oh shit, oh shit." Um, so you know. Oh well, it produced good stuff, which uh, I guess by the time we release this, they will have listened to already. Yes, exactly. All all that ends well. Adiyat, what do you think your favorite story arc is? I think my favorite story arc. Um was more, I guess, the wider arc, which was our dealings with the Eternal One. Mm. 
by the way, an incredibly fun NPC to play. Oh my god. Like, when do you get to just be a total douche canoe? Oh, I loved it so much. Sorry, please go on. Yes, I... <laughs> your, your excitement um, encourages me further. Um, I, I, <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, I, I like that at first. You know, we establish the Eternal One as like the authority figure in this temple, and then we slowly started to chip away at that bit by bit. That actually, um, you know, we shouldn't be relying on and then, or listening to, or caring about, and then uh, this thing, and then we went straight to, oh yeah, we're just going to like destroy this. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna murder like and. Like it happened over the entire campaign, but every time it came up, I think like the story progressed in a like a natural and satisfying way. Yeah, I think that like one of the um, one of the things for me is that like so I'm quite Sufi in the way that I think about a lot of this, and uh, I just really enjoyed um, the way that we we went from orthodoxy to heresy. And I enjoyed how Abbas went from orthodoxy to heresy. I think that was great. And like heresy in a way which like has a lot of respect and love for the original. Yeah. Right? Like mm -hmm. it's very important that like it's not heresy in the way that for example like sometimes atheists see it which is you know oh haha I'm like disrespecting the thing that you love because it has had so many people. Like that could be a legitimate form of like political expression, not like you do you, you know. Like, um, for me, it was more Abbas loves the religion and, and it, it provides this foundation for him, but that doesn't necessarily mean that Abbas is willing to let the trappings of the religion kind of like prevent it from being the best possible version that it can be, yeah. And something yeah. that like I enjoy a lot is um, there is a Sufi poem, um, where, which kind of like roughly translated, uh, so, like there's a very famous Persian um, romantic couple called Majnu and Leila, who, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, it's the classic, you know, like one is, one is a prince from one side, one's the princess from the other side, that kind of thing. Um, and the poem in translation basically says, uh, you know, someone goes, to Majnu and says, uh, you know, you are being called by by Allah. And, and Majnu says something very odd. He says, um, you fool, why should I go to see God? Uh, if God wishes to see me, he should come in Leila's form. Right? Mm. And it's a very, like, kind of, um, it's a sentiment about why should I bow or like compromise in my vision because i know what what divinity is for me right yeah. um and i think that's that's very much like where i was saying the inspiration for a lot of this from in that i ended up playing the snake very much as like condescending and like knowing better than that kind of thing and so long as nobody challenged it it was actually fine but the second someone started pushing back in a real way it was like who the hell do you think you are right I think there was a very good uh, piece of character consistency in the way that uh, the mix of respect and radicalness was kind of a theme for Abbas. Because, like, as you've said, it's like how he 
it, it's it's how his heresy started or how it worked. But it was it also seems to me that Abbas's love of the city and while also having been an insurrectionist or a rebel or a firebrand has that that kind of mirrors it. Yeah, um, I'm not entirely sure what, like, like I don't, I don't have a, like a very clear motive. Like, I mean, the thing about what Tree was saying about uh, Abbas loving religion, but also not letting the trappings get in the way of what it can be. That comes from a personal thing, but I also didn't want Abbas to just be me. So I made him a bit more, I think, also like a kind of character where his, oh, I'll say try to. The where his motivations aren't all that clear because I think there was a part of him or I tried to play out that, you know, if he's challenging the authority of the snake, it's not just like strictly on a, a philosophical level, but also because he doesn't want to be questioned. Like, like, Abbas doesn't want to be questioned. He wants to be correct and will uh, go as far as to uh, start an insurrection against his own god to be to be the person who's right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if anyone else like this, but I was thinking about Abbas's arc, and it felt kind of like if anyone was like looking at Abbas from the outside, they would just assume like you know nothing's changed. He's still the same guy. Okay, he's done a little. He's done a few different things, but it's like still the same essential person. But some very subtle but important changes happened inside him, and I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, uh, it's. I think I had struggled a little bit with thinking trying to play a guy who is like i mean the story obviously you know you, you want to push this character forward but the character doesn't know that he's in a story and he will you know and, and i uh, made him up to be a very sort of weird mix of being both like conservative and progressive like when he's he's, he's progressive when like it's something he wants to do then he'll he'll do anything. It doesn't matter. But so, yeah, I don't know if that like came through in in that way. But but I think it makes sense that like on the outside it looks like you know he's pretty much the same guy. But on the inside, he, he there are some like changes in his thinking. Uh, I I expect that like I I wanted us to be the person who has a very like I, I, he can rewire his brain a little bit to justify what he's doing. Yeah, I think that was really interesting. I think like we you modeled him after like the kind of like archetypical uh South Asian uncle, right? And I think like speaking I think like everyone can kind of relate to this globally. Like um parents' generations tend to be more conservative, like older generations tend to be a bit more conservative. But we always like think about, you know, um, you know, like can we make incremental little bit changes? Can we like, oh this thing that you said is a little bit homophobic or something, or like that's a bit racist, dad. And I, I'm not saying that like, it maps on exactly to that, but it's nice to kind of like role play a little bit of like still conservative, like essentially like nothing is not like massively changed, but like subtle but important changes have happened. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was that was nice. Yeah, and I think that like um, it's also that like no stereotype is ever true in a single person, right? Like so, in yeah. this case, we know that like actually. Abbas is an uncle now who's legit a revolutionary before, right? Yeah. And as a result, the fact that we can see how those two things kind of interact, that's what really suggests, like, that he's not a typical uncle, because there is no, 
there's no person that exemplifies that stereotype, even though sometimes yeah. I do think some people mm-hmm. in my life exemplify yeah. that stereotype. Of course, I think it's a bit different for Adyat and I because like our parents' generations are basically, well, most of them are revolutionaries, I think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which is funny to think about. Mm. All right, how are we doing with these questions? We could maybe just uh, do well, a highlighted score. I think highlighted character scene is something we have kind of already yeah. touched yeah. on. Yeah. yeah, let's do highlighted score as well. That's a good, yeah. good idea. Sure. Yeah. How about Prince, since you're talking, you pick it up. Okay, highlighted score. For me, it's easy. Just like the score that I had the most fun with, it's obviously the roof ball match. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. uh, I I really enjoyed stealing the hang glider. And there was so much going on in that score too. Like we had Miraz being the high priest. We had Joan making some sort of deal with the snake. We have Abbas deciding to play roof ball and then switching sides. (laughs) (laughs) It just—it was a, a a great score. Where like all four of our characters were doing completely unrelated things, but it somehow tied together really well. Anyway, so I really had fun with that. Yeah, I think listeners who—I I mean, the listeners that I've like heard speak about it, like they've all considered that they've been kind of describing that score as like really iconic in terms of like getting the vibe for the campaign, the Chokraworthy mm-hmm. is what we're all about, and it's yeah. a pretty cool score. Yeah, it was. And you know it was cool to actually play roof ball. It was teased so much. So yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I'd actually like to see a bit more roof ball. We'll see if there's room for that in season two. Let's see. Um, my highlighted score would actually be the Home Alone score where we got assaulted by the rising mm. rising moon, um, which of course haha, might lead us a little bit into talking about season two. We'll see, but. That's not the main reason I, I like it so much. I like it because from a technical perspective, like, you know, it kind of reverses the usual like score structure, like we get engagement ruled upon. So that mm-hmm. was interesting to kind of like mess with the to kind of like show the viewers, like, you know, you can do this in blades, it works perfectly well and it produces good results. And I think the score itself was like super interesting, like really impactful, like you know, the first death and they just set us up for certain aspects of the end game, um, but also like very tight, very cohesive. We all knew what was going on. Um, never a case of like, oh, what's this about? What are we really supposed to do? It's clear what what we have to do. We have to get rid of these people who are attacking us. So really yeah. good. Um, I want to shout out anybody who, uh, because I know we cut a lot of this out of the out of the edited session, but so. Just that day, or maybe a day earlier, I had been to a book launch about a very iconic Indian actor called Adif, who is from Hyderabad. Um, as a young man, he was a hero, he's very good looking, and then he later reinvented himself as a, a villain. Um, and some, there is someone called Ajit in Ramu's gang. Um, and in my head, it was definitely Ajit the line. Um, so, you know, just for anyone who cares to like pick that up even mona mona is a mona like ajit has like this side piece called mona and mona is like the person who tees up the ridiculous coats and then ajit knocks them down right so ajit was basically entirely deleted from the session yes correct um also literally in fiction as well (sighs) Mm, wow Mm. well uh i i think i think uh, it's possible we will see Mona Darling in yeah. uh, season two, though. I think she's someone yeah. 
They're very likely to make an appearance for one one reason or another. Let's see. Tree, what is your your favorite score? Oh man, I've kind of. Hmm, there were so many good ones. I think my favorite score is. Uh, I'm going to be very cliche about this. I think it's the last one. Uh huh. I think that there was a lot going on, but we knew what was going on. I am a little. I was always a little disappointed that I kept forgetting to bring Johannesson more. And I kept thinking, but the, the, the injury that Johannes suffered was so much more grievous. And. They don't have the advantage that Miraz has of A, being a PC, and B, having a literal shrine builder inside them. Um, mm. And so it must take much longer for them to recover, right? Um, but I'm glad that they came back and they, like, appeared in that final scene when it mattered, when you were, like, I wanted it to bookend for the season, right? Yeah. Um, and that really felt good to me. Uh, the scene with Zajidan at the end, Zajidan and Zal, felt really good to me. The scene with Constable, where, um, who were the PCs? You know what I mean? Like, Constable was an NPC. I was playing the other NPC who was the person who was like, and, and it, it was a scene that a PC should have been in, but it wasn't. Um, and I'm going to just, you know, pat myself on the back and say I handled that fairly well. So, even outside the really, incredible moments of because attacking the snake you know joan turning up miraz um you know like actively going against the empire and like abbas basically nearly murdering this poor woman right like all of those moments were really iconic but even outside of that there were loads of really small things that i that i think worked really well in that score because we were all like we knew the vision in a way and then we were just like doing it so that's i think mm. that that's it for me i'll briefly comment um so because of the way things played out i had mirrors like completely ignore constable uh mod and johannes but i had mm-hmm. as soon as you said mod and johannes came, uh, were back i had it in i had it lined up that mirrors will mirrors says new name for uh johannes was going to be was going to be wolfgang and I was waiting for an opportunity to say to refer- Yeah, but you know, then my oh, dad died, no. and I have better things to do. <laughs> yeah, very fast, very fast. Yeah. Oh man. Um. Maybe I should put Wolfgang in my next. Uh... Yeah. Okay. Good. Good to know. Good to know. Great. But yeah, that was my favorite score. Um. Emma hasn't said hers yet. Well. Uh, I've 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 highlighted the Kingfisher arc, and I think also the Kingfisher score was the one that sticks in my memory the most. As like, oh, that was really cool. Um, in parts, I think it was going into the was it was it mines? It was something else. It was the caverns. It was spelunking. The caverns. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, in some ways, it was the mo. It started out as what would have been like the most traditional score. I think uh, if you just look at the outline of it. But so many funny and amazing and uh, unexpected things happened, like Abbas's um, Abbas using his clothing as a parachute. <laughs> I have to <laughs> reiterate that that is a thing that happened, um, and it was a beautiful turning point as well. Uh, or what ter- turned out to be very impactful, uh, as it was the moment where we lost the support of the snake. Yeah. 
it's a very solid mid-season turn in that yeah. way. Like it took yeah. the campaign in a whole other direction. Yeah, I think like that was going to be my other score that I was going to mention. But the reason that the finale edged it out is that uh, I got to play an old PC of mine, and I have a very soft spot for him. So I was just like, you know, I gotta pick it. Um, yeah. I did feel a little bit self-conscious about like Constable Surrender becoming so important because you know former PC and all that. But I think it. I mean, of course, like I really like you know, on a personal level, I really appreciated the way things went down with that. Of course. Yeah. And I hope it also made good listening. I think it did. I think Maybe. it did. Um, yeah. But I think one of the reasons that it that it did was that we knew that even though we cared about her she wasn't as important to the campaign as the PCs were, right? Like the reason we're focusing on her is so that it's because Miraz is explicit, is explicitly wanting for her to live so that we don't all get like murderized by uh, the inspectors, right? Yeah. And I think- That was a useful thing to keep in mind. Sorry, go on. I think also like, even in the context of the campaign, and again, like, I don't know how it'll feel for the listeners and so on. It was nice that this story about revolution, but like not, in a fairly atypical, atypical sort of way, very like I guess cerebral, I guess we could say. Mm-hmm. We had like a uh, inspector, this like foreign cop, and of course, like you know, she was not a, she was not a good presence. Um, yeah, but there was still room for compassion and humanity and so on. And I think that's something I really appreciated because I can really see a very different kind of like yeah. typical sort of like arc for how that person gets dealt with. Yeah, yeah, I think. Um... You're right that she was someone that, like, it would have been very reasonable for any player to, to just go, hey, I want to, like, shoot her and then chuck her in the river and then make sure that nobody notices. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then, and we did make conscious decisions not to let that happen, which I think was, like, important in many ways. Yeah. Pragmatic, but also I liked how it played out on an emotive level. Yeah. All right. Adi, at your left, with highlighted score. Yes, I was also going to um, point out the the spelunking score with the in the Kingfisher Grotto because I think it had everything. Um, like all all the characters had like really cool moments uh, with uh, like like from the beginning to the end, like where we were trying to cross that chasm, and then like Vickers using her like self as like an anchor point to from which Joan jumped off to the other side of the yes yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah like somehow it worked um and then like yeah the I think this was one of the, the first times in the in this campaign where Abbas and Miraz kind of actually got along yeah which was nice for my character I uh with you know Ingenious use of uh, binding oil. Sorry, uh, oh no, sorry. What, what binding oil was what? Floating, floating oil. What was it? Drift oil. Drift oil. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, like when we went to the Kingfisher Grotto again, I, I think that uh, the the finale of that score set in like set, set us along the path for the rest of the campaign, right? With the the shrine builder and like you know a bus getting a bit. Uh, yeah, like drunk on his own power with the ritual and trying to like you know say that yeah he's back now he's gonna do things he's no longer a bookish old man um yeah 
uh, Joan eating a god. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, so yeah, like for me, that's that's a that's a standout score by far. I think. Yeah, yeah. I also do want to shout out that we had a whole load Skurlock score. It didn't make the top five, right? And it was a very good score, yeah, and it, it didn't make the top five. So you know, we ran a good campaign. I'm proud of it. Yeah, it was good. It was a good time. Yeah, I enjoyed it. But I will not deny that I also will enjoy no longer being GM because I think the players get away with so much nonsense and I look forward to getting away with so much nonsense. Um, it's mm. going to happen. It's going to be the year of me doing absolute, like, unhinged shit. Gonna, like you think you think you think you've seen stuff from Joan? I I'm, I'm gonna make it my personal mission to outdo Joan. <laughs> you said you were going to make a god. Yes, yeah. correct. Uh, teaser, but also oh no, you can know this. I'm gonna I, I would have said it episode one anyway. Um, very much inspired by the Silt versus very much inspired by Max Gladstone's craft sequence, but also very much inspired by Joan. I'm gonna commit to this. I'm gonna be like, you know what? How dare other people be in charge of divinity? I think I could do better. Um, and I'm going to. You know. Hell yeah. so, great. Okay. So, on that note, sign us off, Tree. Sign us out for the season. Uh, no, no, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Signing out is important, but we also need to formally introduce the new GM and kind of set up the next season. Because, of course, oh. we will record sessions zero in like five minutes but i don't know when it'll come out maybe there'll be a okay, gap that is week or two months that is fine. okay mm-hmm. um so we can cut out the signing off and instead what i'm gonna do is do the handover and then i'll sign off so this is the official announcement i'm sure it'll come out on twitter and so on we're doing promo already actually with like designing materials second season will also be in Udwasha. it will follow on in terms of the timeline straight from this one so it's very likely to occur like a few days after this finale but we won't be following the chakrabortis i think they've earned their rest um and i think that to a large extent the things that they are about to do now in uduwasha may not be the things that we should continue to observe them for i think they deserve some some privacy to deal with having eaten destroyed and otherwise um, consumed uh, gods. Instead, we will be playing um, a a little-known sword school called the Rising Moon. Um, uh, Members of it, rather, having uh, just lost their leader and their most elite warriors to some um, terrible outside force, we will be attempting to rebuild the school uh, and also the pride of the Kethrises, uh, the Kethrises refugees in Uduwasha. And happy to say that uh, Prince is going to be GMing this for us. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I think Prince is an excellent GM. And funnily enough, the so he was campaigning, campaigning running a campaign that uh, I was playing in earlier, and we have just decided that in that group, I will be running. So we've just traded off, really. So yeah, Prince, tell us uh, in 17 words or less, 
which god we are going to be creating uh but only in swedish i wow that's hard yeah <laughs> I was I was lined up to read the introduction I actually wrote for this, but that's not in Swedish. So no, that's not in Swedish. You could try translating it. How about uh -huh. we do it in the language that we're speaking? In in Hadrathi? Yeah. Um, anyway, here is my actual pitch, which I will now read. Yes. Okay. Six towers in Doskol, six cities in Eruvia, six seasons in the Shattered Isles, and six days in the Emperor's Week, but there are only five key bearers. There is no sixth spire, forlorn and forgotten in the desert. There is no sixth bloodline, concealed among the poor and the homeless, its descendants unaware of their heritage, dwelling in the gutters. There is no sixth badsha, and no sixth family to account for, and no one has ever heard of the House of Endings. Yet. It's gonna happen, man. We're gonna do it. We're gonna do uh -huh. it. I, I am so hyped for this. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's my yeah. pitch. <laughs> it's, yeah. We will we will play to find out what it exactly it means. Yes. A plus. Excellent. And on that note, it seems that it is time for us to invite the House of Endings uh, in. And so we will uh, bid farewell to this campaign, A Candle of Blaze. It has been a pleasure and an honor. honor, honor. Uh, playing with all of you, running for all of you, and I suspect it will be the same playing with you next season. I was going to say something like that I thought was going to be very cheesy, but luckily for me, I have now forgotten that. So instead, um, in the immortal words of Rogers and Hammerstein, so long, farewell, auf Wiedersehen, goodbye. And so blows out our brief candle. I named the disciples of the ceaseless temple thus, with both their given names and taken. Saumitri called tree, Zoheb called Klau, Prince, Emma, and Adyat called Soap. Intro music Jalandahar by Kevin McLeod. Outro music in Kiravani Ragam by Yusri Nivas. Blades in the Dark by John Harper and Evil Hat Productions. Iruvian Playbooks by Johnstone Metzger. Follow us at Desperate Attune on Twitter or email us at desperateattune at gmail.com. Support us at ko-fi.com slash desperateattune.